Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 67. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, the man who calms his nerves by dancing it out, Pat Flynn. Hey, what's up? Welcome, welcome, welcome to session 67 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. That's exactly two-thirds of the way to episode 100, which is crazy. And uh, what's even more crazy is that today we have Neil Patel joining us on the show today. For those of you who don't know who Neil Patel is, um, just let me let me introduce him for you really quick. Neil is almost 30 years old, so he's a little younger than myself. But when he was 21, he was named one of the top influencers on the web, according to Wall Street Journal, and also one of the top entrepreneurs in the nation by Entrepreneur Magazine. He has a blog at quicksprout.com and also co-founded a couple of companies that you may have heard of before. Maybe you're even using these companies' softwares right now. Uh, Crazy Egg is one of them and Kiss Metrics, which are used worldwide by businesses looking to get deeper into their web analytics and customer profiling, heat maps, and things like that. He's also done a lot of consulting work for companies such as, and I know you've heard of these, Amazon, AOL, GM, HP, and Viacom, helping these 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 big name companies make more money from using the internet. He's helped sites like TechCrunch get 30% more traffic within two months. That That's millions and, and millions of new visitors as a result of his SEO analysis and, and his recommendations. And I could go on and on and on about Neil, but the coolest thing is that he's here with us today on the show to help us understand, in his point of view, what's working today on the web to get a website ranked and and found and to get traffic coming to it. What's working in search engine optimization, SEO, today? So with Niche Site Dual 2.0 on the horizon, soon to launch, I I can't think of a better person to interview, uh, someone with more experience uh, to to guide us in the right direction than Neil. So without further delay, let's let's just dive right into the interview. Here's Neil Patel from quicksprout.com. Hey, what's up, Neil? How's it going? Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. 
you know, we're all really excited to have you on the show because you are a big name online and you're doing a lot of amazing things um, specifically for a lot of bigger brands. Like I know you've helped out uh, TechCrunch and Gawker and, and I has Cheeseburger and, and have done amazing things to help increase their traffic and improve SEO. And I have you on the show today because I want to know uh, a few things like what's working today and also what can we take away from all the work and consultations and um, stuff you've done with the bigger brands and how can we as sort of personal brands, people doing niche sites, smaller things, what can we learn from from there? So before we even get into that, I want to, I, I know a lot of the audience may not know who you are. Um, who Who is Neil Patel? Like, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, no problem. I just see myself as another average Joe, right? I'm from Orange County, California, Southern California, like you, right? Grew up, uh, always wanted to be an entrepreneur because I grew up in pretty much the poor part of Orange County, which is North Orange County, which is away from the water. And I always wanted that luxury lifestyle, right? Because you see everyone around you who's like well off, nice cars and stuff like that. I'm like, I want that too. So the only way I thought I could end up getting there as a kid is being an entrepreneur. And I started my entrepreneurial journey to make money to live that rich lifestyle. I later then realized in life that money doesn't buy you happiness and it's not really that important other than you know making sure that you can pay for the basic necessities in life, rent, food, so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm just a serial entrepreneur. I tend to be starting businesses like around the marketing space. So for example, my first real business was a marketing agency. My second one was a software solution that helped marketing companies and that or marketers. And then my third and current one also helps marketers, right? It's another software company, but just a normal serial entrepreneur that loves helping entrepreneurs and marketers do better over, you know, in whatever they're doing. It could be their own website or it could be at their job or whatever it may be. Awesome. And you've mentioned a couple pieces of software, and I bet when you say them, people are going to recognize uh, the names of those. What, what are those different ventures and softwares that you have to, that, that are helping businesses out there right now? Sure. So I have a few software companies, two main ones, but some of them are under each other. So one is called Crazy Egg. Uh, it's a heat mapping technology. It tells you where people are clicking or where they're not on your web page or website, so that way you can figure out how to maximize usability. Crazy Egg also owns another company that a lot of bloggers use. It's called Hello Bar, H-E-L-L-O-B-A-R. It's like a little orange bar that goes on top of your site so you can direct traffic to wherever you want, pretty much personalizing your website so you can give unique messages to different segments. My current software company that I spend all my time on is called Kissmetrics, and it's a customer analytics solution in which it helps you pretty much tell you everything about your customers. And not in a creepy way like, here's the age of a person and blah, blah, because we don't do that kind of stuff. It's more so like, uh, hey, Pat is buying from Amazon, assuming Amazon's using this. Here's everything you need to know about Pat. Pat likes these kind of products. Here's his lifetime value. Here's where he came from. Here's the first time he came to your website. Here's the last time he came. You know, Here are all the places that are causing him to convert, so forth, so on. So all it's doing is helping you increase your lifetime value of your customer and conversion rates, and it's helping you reduce your churn. Right, I love it, and and on the front end of websites, I'm I'm familiar with Kissmetrics from the nice subtle little pop ups at the bottom of pages that ask me, you know, like a poll question. Yep, and that is uh, Kiss Insights. We saw that it's uh, it's a company and they renamed it Qualaroo, but yeah, I still use that a lot. It's actually one of my favorite tools out there. Yeah, awesome, man. So I mean, obviously, you know what you're doing, and when it comes to SEO. 
Yeah, it was it was funny. I, I asked my Facebook uh, page today, um, who's creating content that you can't miss right now? And your name came up dozens of times. And so I know everybody out there is really excited to, to hear you talk about this. And we're right in the middle of something called uh, the Niche Site Duel, where I'm going to sort of publicly build the website from scratch and just kind of take people through that journey. I've done this once before um, to, to you know, some good success building a, a site in the security guard training industry that is now you know, passively earning a few thousand dollars a month. And I want to do it again because that was a couple of years ago. People are like, oh, well, that was old SEO. That's, you know, that's old. What do we do today? And so you're here to help us educate. And first of all, I just want to thank you for your time. And secondly, I want to ask you, the important question, what's working in SEO and search engine optimization today? What is working today? Yeah, so there's two main things that I'm seeing, right? There's a lot of like black hat stuff. And I used to do a ton of that kind of stuff years and years ago. I still know a lot of it, probably more than I should. <laughs> but with those kind of things is they're short lived, right? And I know this like firsthand, like I used to rank like in the top three on Google for online casino and web hosting and a lot of other terms. And trust me, like the money's great when you rank there from black hat techniques, but it doesn't last forever and you put in so much time and money. It's like, might as well do something that's more long-term and you can continually make residuals from it. Mm -hmm. So if you want to talk about what's working today and more importantly, what's going to work in the future, there's a few things. One is content marketing and two is getting links from authority sites. And I don't think any of two of those things will change because it's actually really hard to gain both of those, right? Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about content marketing, and it's funny, I'm actually writing a blog post right now. I started, it's called The Unconventional Guide to Content Marketing. Because most people think that, oh, I can write blog posts and I'm going to do exceptionally well. It's not really true because blogs are old now. Everyone has a, you got to have something unique. Creating a blog five years ago is way different than creating a blog right now. It's much harder to get a blog popular than it used to be. So if you're going to actually create a blog or you're going to leverage content even on your website because you don't need a blog to actually leverage content marketing, you got to create awesome content. And I actually think blog posts aren't the most awesome form of content. I think there's a few different means, mediums, right? One is podcasting, right? Like you're doing, it just takes way more effort. Mm -hmm. But you gain a lot more value actually listening to someone breaking down how to do stuff versus reading a piece of content that may not be as detailed. The next is guides. So I started writing these guides and they actually started doing extremely well. And I'm actually going to include that in my blog post. My first guide that I wrote that was really detailed was the advanced guide to SEO. It was over 45,000 words, right? That's right, like 45,000 words. That's a lot of content. I could actually make a real book out of that. And when I put that guide online, I actually had a downloadable PDF. The downloadable PDF I put on Dropbox because that was too cheap to pay for bandwidth on Rackspace because it's not cheap. <laughs> and I had a free Dropbox account, which gives you like 20 gigabytes worth of free daily transfer. I used up that 20 gigabytes in less than an hour. They suspended my account for three days. And as you can imagine, traffic's dying down to the guide because when you do a launch and everyone tweets about it, you always get the most amount of traffic within the first few days. Mm -hmm. So after three days of suspension, I upgraded my account to a paid account. So now I had 200 gigabytes of daily transfer. Within an hour or two max, I maxed out at the 200 gigabytes. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's a lot of PDFs being downloaded. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Because and in between, I had it on my servers, and my uh, rack space bill was going through the roof. So like I was like crying, but that just shows you 
how much demand there is for people wanting detailed information. Because most people are like, oh, no one's going to read a 2,000-word blog post, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like you would assume no one's going to even read a 45,000-word blog or a blog post or a guide or whatever you want to end up calling it. Especially when you look at like Mashable, Entrepreneur Magazine, a lot of these popular publications have this rule where they don't like publishing content more than like 1,000, 1,200 words. But I actually think that's where it's at. It's these unique pieces that most people can't generate or aren't willing to put in the time. Another one is uh, comics. The Oatmeal does a good job. Now, what was if you took his style of creating like funny comics and actually educating through it, right? Mm-hmm. I think that'll be a hit. The other one that I think be a really big hit that no one's doing uh, much work on, I actually just signed a $90,000 contract to create uh, this form of content. So I'm creating 300 videos, uh, like screen capture videos, like using Camtasia, where they break down every form of internet marketing, right? All for free. And you just can watch these 10-minute clips, 300 videos of them, so it may take you a while, and it can teach you all forms of internet marketing. That kind of stuff is just so time-consuming and exhausting to create. But that's the kind of stuff that's working because very few people are willing to put in the time and money into creating that kind of stuff. Right. So it's it's not a matter of just simply following what everyone else is doing. It's it's going above and beyond and spending time to do stuff that other people probably wouldn't or most people in, in whatever market you're in aren't going to do. Yeah, because if you look at what actually generates rankings these days, there's a pattern. Search engines are now much smarter than they were let's say a few years ago, right? They made more algorithm changes in the last one year of me being SEO than they have in the last 10 years of me being SEO, mm-hmm. right? That's how drastic and quickly that they're changing. So what I would have to say is like, you need to look for patterns and they're smart enough to detect if, hey, here's all the people in your space, here's their link profile, here's how many of their links are rich, Here's the percentage that comes from .com, .edu, .gov, .net, .org, and so forth and so on, right? And they know that, hey, if you're actually naturally doing SEO and you're creating good information, here's what your profile is going to look like. X percent should roughly go to your homepage while the rest should go to your internal page versus what most SEOs are doing and sending 80 plus percent of the links to the homepage, right? Right. And the best way to get these links are going to be from creating really good Content, or if you don't create content and you're, you know, product-based site, you gotta create an exceptionally good product, like uh, Dropbox, right? Dropbox may seem simple to you as a consumer, but it's really complicated, right? They gotta sync between your phone, different computers. If you adjust, they gotta know which uh, computer adjusted first, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of complications to that software, but it's such a great piece of software that solves a big problem that people are gonna naturally link to it and talk talk about it on these popular authority sites, right? Like the Huffington Post, uh, TechCrunch, all these sites that are hard to get links from compared to buying links from like the sponsor reviews, blogs, advertised, all these sources that don't work anymore, which is where most SEOs used to get them from. So do you, uh, my question is, okay, so say I spend all this time writing like the ultimate guide to, to whatever and, and, that, and that, you know, it's great, but I don't have a following yet. For example, let's just say that that's the example. I create this awesome guide. How how are people going to find out about it? How is Huffington Post? How is TechCrunch? How are these big authoritative or authoritative sites who we want links from? How are they going to understand it if if you know I'm a nobody right now? So I actually like to call this the 200 outreach program, in which you reach. And I started out this way, right? Because I don't have a following either. Mm. 
But what I would do is if I actually created a brand new guide and I don't have a following, and I do this with certain sites because sometimes I'll pop up brand new sites. And what I'll do is I'll pay someone on ODES to create a list of 200 websites that are highly relevant to my site or what I'm creating that are very likely to be interested in talking about what I've created, mm -hmm. right? Like my guide. And also in that list, when I'm paying that Odesker, they'll also give me their name and email address. I'll also have that Odesker find 200 blogs that are very likely to blog about topics related to my guide. I'll also have them create a list of 200 Facebook fan pages. And I'll also have them create a list of 200 Twitter profiles that tweet about similar content. Now you got this list. Right when you release your guide, you should be coming up with templates before you actually release it. So what I actually like doing is soft releasing it on my website, but not letting anyone know about it. And if you don't have an audience, it doesn't matter because no one will know about it anyways. Mm -hmm. And then you actually start sending out those 200 emails and it's customized. Like I would be like, hey, Pat, I know you run Smart Passive Income. I'm a huge fan. I've been a reader. I know you've been talking about SEO lately, gray hat, black hat, all the different techniques. Well, I just released this guide to content marketing. It's called the Advanced Guide to Content Marketing. And I actually think it would benefit your readers because it breaks down white hat techniques that you can actually increase your traffic by. And here are some sites that use these techniques and here are their results. Let me know what you think. If you have any questions, you know, I'll gladly be willing to answer them. And if I can do anything to help you out with smart passive income or anything with your content marketing strategy, let me know, right? I'll start sending custom emails like that. And when you send out 200 of them, you'll start getting like 5% of the websites and blogs to start covering them. So when you're sending out an uh, email to 200 websites, 200 blogs out of 400 people, right, you'll start roughly getting 20 people out of those 400 to cover it. Then when you take Twitter, and I actually direct message people on Twitter with unique messages. If you direct message them with the same generic message over and over again, you'll actually get penalized. Right. But if you give unique messages you'll roughly get like 3 to 5% to also tweet about it, which starts adding up. And then the same thing with the Facebook fan page. I haven't had as big of a coverage, but you usually get like 2% to actually talk about it on their Facebook uh, fan page. Yeah, you know, it's so funny that, you know, just going back to email and, and actually reaching out and doing some work is, is the way to go. I remember Derek Halpern from SolsticeTriggers.com. He, uh, I think he ran a survey where he asked people, you know, well, what do you spend most of your time doing on your site or with your content? Um, and, and most people, I think it was like 90% of people spend more, more of their time creating it and maybe 10% of their time actually promoting it. And, um, you know, it's funny because I think that's, that's what most of us do. Once we, we, you know, we, we feel like once we build it, they will come. But obviously here with the 200 outreach program, and I love that, um, and I'm definitely going to try that out. You're actually sending emails. And I, and I remember an interview I did with a guy named Trevor Page who runs a, a website on how to teach people how to do Java. And he started out just like he, exactly what you said. He created the ultimate guide to Java free on his website. It was the first blog post. Then he started sending emails out and he actually got Lifehacker to cover him. And it was just that one, it was actually just that one connection there that pretty much boosted everything for him and, and, and got him on the right course super fast. It, it is. And even if you have an audience, you should still do it. Like you said, not enough people spend time promoting it. And I actually did an A-B test. And it's not a true A-B test. because So my first guy was the advanced guy to content marketing. I mean, the advanced guy to SEO. My second guy that I just released was advanced guy to content marketing. Now, my traffic's been roughly the same. I get around 400,000 visitors a month, 300,000 uniques, right? Mm -hmm. 
And with my advanced guide to SEO, I did the 200 list to blogs, websites, Twitter users, and Facebook fan pages. And I didn't do that with uh, content marketing. I leveraged my list and all that kind of same stuff I did with the SEO guide, but I didn't go the OTA step. And I eventually ended up doing it. I just delayed it for a few days and I want to see the difference. The difference was literally almost 3x in traffic. By leveraging that list, I got three times more traffic to the advanced guide to SEO than the advanced guide to content marketing. Now, you could end up saying, well, it's because you didn't reach out to your list and e- or you didn't email out to 200 random people or maybe the guy's not as good. Mm-hmm. But I actually did email out to website owners and blogs. I just delayed it for a few days and my traffic picked up and I'm on the same trajectory as advanced guide to SEO, right? So it shows that the content was just as good. But by doing that 200 emails to 200 website owners, 200 blogs, 200 Twitter users, 200 Facebook fan pages... I'm able to almost 3x my traffic. Right, right. Obviously, obviously, one of the requirements of this whole thing before you start sending emails is to have that excellent content. Whether it's like you said, podcasting or guides. I think a guide is a great way to go. Um, you know, the, you're going to do that 300 video thing. I mean, that's something noteworthy. That's something that when people see that email, they're going to be like, "Wow, this is this is different. I, I should check this out." Um, how do you know what to write about or what to create guides about? Do you do any keyword research or um, do you just no, do you ask around? So I have a big audience now, so they'll tell me what they want to read about. Right, but what right. I actually used to do beforehand is I would actually try to survey people on Facebook, run polls. I would ask other people who have similar Facebook fan pages with related audiences if they'll do polls. When I'm at conferences, just in meetings, talking to people, I would use uh, Qualaroo to survey my readers as well. So doing all those kind of things would help me get an understanding of what people want. And I actually didn't do what most people did. A lot of people do keyword research. All right, here's the keywords that are getting traffic. This is what I should write about. I have a different strategy. Write what people want. Search engines will eventually catch up, and then you'll get a lot of traffic for it. And that's my over strategy, and I found that to work. And then whatever you create, make it really great. Like, go overboard. So what I'll do is I'll spend a ton of time writing it. If I don't have a ton of time to, like, make it perfect, I'll also hire a co-author and pay them, like, three grand or five or 10 grand to help me out, right, on these guides. You can even do it a lot cheaper. I'm just really picky. You can Mm -hmm. find some of these co-authors on jobs.perlblogger.net. And then what I'll end up doing is after it's all done, I'll go to dribble, D-R-I-B-B-B-L-E.com, and I'll find designers on there. And you can find some that are really cheap, some are expensive, some are international, and they'll do great jobs, and you can get, like, your whole guide design. So, like, go above and beyond and actually get it illustrated, Versus most people who'd be cheap and would just do something basic like put in a Word document and put their logo on there and say, check this out, right? Mm-hmm. So by doing all of those things, you'll actually get more traction because people are like, wow, you actually took the time, energy, and effort to make this that's something great. And I got so many people emailing me saying that I'll pay for it. And the other thing that you should do is when you're writing content, guides, infographics, whatever it may be, something that's so great you can actually try a strategy out, and I've been A-B testing this, and it's actually worked out well. So search engines now use social signals to determine rankings as well, like Twitter, right? How many upvotes uh, or tweets, uh, likes on Facebook, so forth, so on, how many Google Pluses. And they've actually gone out and stated this. So what I'll actually do is try things with my blog audience, saying, like, give them half of it, like the guide. Hey, want to read the rest? Tweet it. And you'll get a ton of people tweeting it, which helps your content go viral much more quicker. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. 
Okay, so social signals are really important. Tweets, Facebooks. Uh, how, how are you getting them? Are you just simply asking them to tweet or is there a specific tool you have that sort of hides everything else? So it's kind of like wet paint. I, I took the strategy from them. And if you go to wetpaint.com, you'll notice not all posts, but on some posts, if you click on it, a box will pop up as you're reading. It says, hey, to read the rest of this content, please you know, uh, like our Facebook fan page or tweet about it or follow us on Twitter. Or you can say no thanks. So if people don't want to do any of it, they can just say no thanks and not have to do any of that. But you'll find a large portion will actually tweet or like your fan page or whatever you want them to do. Mm. And I just create something custom, have a developer do it. It shouldn't cost you more than like a hundred bucks. That's cool. And if they click no thanks, they just they can still continue to read whatever that post is. Yep. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Okay. So. I read a post on your site uh, recently about guest blogging. And in the world that I'm in, you know, the online business, entrepreneurship, blogging world, um, which I know you're into, obviously, um, guest, blo- guest blogging, guest posting has, has been around forever. Uh, and it seems like for a while it kind of went away as some of the more black hat strategies started to work again. Um, but then now with the Google uh, algorithm changes, guest posting seems to be coming back. Do you feel like guest posting and 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 putting your content instead of creating your own guides and podcasts and things like that but putting content that you create on someone else's site is that still a viable strategy or is it is it changing at all it is a viable strategy and it is changing at the same time so there's a few things before right now one of the most popular ways of link building in the SEO space is guest posting so searchings are cracking down on this and people will hit you up. You probably already experienced this. Like, I get tons of requests every day from people saying, "Hey, we'd love to submit an article or blog yeah, on you. dozens." <laughs> and and it's crap, right? Like, you'll get an educational blog wanting to blog about college grants on smart passive income, which just doesn't make sense, right? I think I actually got one of those emails the other day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Funny enough, I actually know some of the owners of the sites that are actually sending out those guest posting queries. <laughs> <laughs> so. With these guest posts, like, they're going to crack down. If it's not re- relevant, it's not going to work. So they want to see people doing relevant guest blog posts. If I'm an SEO uh, company and I want to guest post about SEO and internet marketing, a good, ex- a good place would be SEO mobs. Or another good place, maybe let's say if I have a lot of healthcare customers, another good place would be a healthcare uh, website that has a section that talks about starting your own healthcare business or marketing it or whatever it may be, right? Mm -hmm. That's a highly relevant guest post. And just shoving links back to your site isn't a good strategy. Adding them where it's relevant and it benefits the customer is good. Making them all rich in anchor text is another bad strategy. Making them flow naturally is a better strategy. And then within the signature of your uh, guest post, you know, you feel free to link back to yourself. But the way you should look, evaluate guest posting as do it for business because this actually drives more business than search engine rankings from what I found if you write really great content. And that's what you should be focusing on. If you can't write exceptionally good content for guest posts, don't waste your time because eventually they'll get into author rank and they'll look at which authors are blogging where, what's the authority of that author. So they won't just look at it as a site and how relevant it is, but they'll also look at you as an author. And if you continue to write great content that gets a lot of social shares, links, so forth, so on, they'll weigh the links in that post and that post in general better than most posts. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, author uh, rankings is, is, is like a new thing 
um, as far as how they're determining what's what's good content and what's not. I mean, there's just so many things going out uh, going on out there that that's changing in the SEO world. Now, there's something that's always going to be the same, I feel, and that is on-site SEO. And I know you've done a lot of case studies, actually, um, and you've shared these really interesting um, case studies on, on your site on quicksprout.com, um, how you help TechCrunch get like 30% more traffic or um, the Gawker Media um, and, and how, how you increase their traffic by 5 million visitors and, uh, per month. I mean, that's just incredible. Um, but these are these are some big companies out there and they're still making, I mean, you, you went in there and you improved a lot of what they were doing as far as on-site SEO to help them rank higher and get more traffic. What are some things we can take from you Kind of if, and your experience working with these bigger companies out there that everybody else should be focusing on as well. What were, what were some of the most common um, mistakes that they were making that we should all be paying attention to? Sure, especially when you have a blog and you have a bigger site, a lot of people do common mistakes. The easiest one is duplicate titles and meta descriptions throughout their whole site. Like, because WordPress has pagination one, two, three, four, five, right? When you go through the pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with categories, uh, tag clouds, all this kind of stuff. There's so much duplicate content. So, fixing that, fixing duplicate titles, descriptions. The other thing is uh, not having an XML sitemap, right? So, feeding an XML sitemap, getting your pages indexed, submitting to Webmaster Tools, and they'll actually tell you how many of your pages are indexing. But the other thing is, is a lot of you will have 404 errors. No matter what, it's just eventually you'll get them when you make changes and stuff like that. So being unique with your 404 pages, not just saying, hey, here's a 404 page. That's kind of silly. What I actually like doing, and I did this with, uh, it's either with TechCrunch or Gawker. It's one or the other. I forgot which one I did it with. But I took the 404 pages because I had so many. And I made, I had a developer create a 404 page that would take all the pages. So I would take the Google API and I would take a list of all the pages that I was getting traffic from from Google and all the pages I weren't, right? So I was assuming those are the pages that weren't indexed. And I was like plugging them in to see if they're actually indexed through the API. We got a list of all the ones that were likely to not be indexed and getting traffic. And what we actually did is we changed our 404 page to be like, oh, sorry, the page you requested is no longer there. Uh, I just want to show you some relevant pages that could benefit you as well. And users don't really see this, but search engines do. And all the relevant pages would be ones that weren't really being indexed by the search engines and that was a great way why we great way that we were able to ind- uh, increase the amount of pages that were indexed overall and we had good traffic increases from that as well yeah oh, that's that's a great and very creative strategy obviously when more pages are indexed you're going to get more um, long tail traffic you're going to get you know users more opportunities just for people to find you yeah, and if you want a WordPress blog, you can just use the SEO plugin by uh, Yoast. It solves most of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's most of the on-page stuff people forget. And it's those things that really make a huge impact when you already have some authority, like you've been blogging for a while, people link to you. If you don't do that kind of stuff, you're just not going to maximize your traffic. So you should definitely do all the on-page stuff. Awesome. Now, a couple more topics I want to talk about. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time, Neil, but... One thing that has been, at least in th- through the space that I'm in, um, a good SEO strategy, or I've heard was a good SEO strategy, and I haven't quite yet um, figured out how to do this yet, but it's infographics. A lot of people, I mean, I've just seen, like, just over the last couple of years, just infographics have exploded um, because they're kind of, you know, they're really cool. They, they get shared a lot. Um, are, they, are they still effective? Should I, be, should I be paying attention to infographics? If we're starting a new site, is that a great way to get some authoritative links and social shares? 
It is. Searching is our devaluing infographic links, though. Uh, and I believe, I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure, like 75, 80% sure that they actually mentioned that, too. Now, the thing with the infographic links are a lot of people are just cranking out infographics, putting embed codes, and try to get them on Mashable and sites like that because they have connections there. But if you create really good infographics that are relevant to your business, so you wouldn't want to create, if you're a dental company, you wouldn't want to create an infographic about tech products. Like, that's just silly. But if you're a tech company, you create infographics about tech, and you get the infographic on other tech sites, it helps. Uh, just make sure you have an embed code on your infographics, because if you don't, you're not going to get much linkages. But the key with infographics is really good design, right? You can find them on Dribble as well, like cheap designers that'll do it for under 500 bucks. You don't really want to have more than six points. When you start having more than six main points that you're trying to portray within the infographic, it starts getting too long. You want to make sure it's all visual, right? Because infographics are supposed to be data that's visualized, so people actually actually cluttering infographics with too much data, mm-hmm. and that actually hurts it. The other thing that you actually want to do is make sure prom- you promote it well. So don't just create it, but promote it, right? Just like if you're writing a guide or a blog post or anything like that. And I would say, other than that, like those are the main things you really have to think about with infographics. Now, can I just make an infographic about anything that may have some numbers to go along with it and it, it could do well? Or is there a sort of strategy to figure out what to create an infographic about? So what I actually like doing is I like blogging about topics that were hot in my space. And eventually you'll find some topics that are really data-driven and hard to understand. I then try to take those data to, or those topics and turn them into infographics because you're taking complicated things and making it easier to understand through an infographic. That's the ideal way to find one. So that way you actually have a reference point uh, where you can link people to when you say, hey, I got most of my information from this source. Awesome, Neil. Now, as far as the SEO space is concerned and what's working today, is there one or two things we didn't cover that we should have? Sure. So most people don't know about a tool called Scrapebox. Um, Some people use it for black hat stuff. And I actually like using it for a lot of white hat stuff. So here's what I end up doing. So Scrapebox can scrape results for any specific category. So let's say the category is education and you're trying to rank for all the education-related stuff. What I would do is scrape all the sites that talk about education-related stuff, then have someone go through them and remove anyone who's a competitor. And I'm not talking about like a list of 1,000 sites. Scrapebox can literally give you a list of like 80,000 sites, and you just pay some interns or people from Odesk to clean up that list. Then from there, Scrapebox can actually take their name and email for you, and when you create a really detailed guide, you can use like mailing programs like MailChimp, or SendGrid and mail out like literally 50,000 people and letting them know about your guide or infographic or whatever it may be and you'll get a ton of links like even if you get 1% that's a huge number because you're sending out like 50,000 emails my recommendation is don't send out 50,000 emails send out no more than like a thousand to start off with or a few hundred test it out figure out what messaging works and then start sending out more and more but do it over time and don't burn your lists so Scrapebox is, uh, is, is what they call like a harvesting tool. So it's just a data harvesting and it's a way, it's a tool that helps you um, instead of having to manually go into Google and look at every single result or, um, you know, and find all your competitors or other people in the industry, it just quickly pulls that data for you and organizes it. Is that correct? That's correct. But the really key important part is if you don't have someone clean up that list, 
you're just going to be spamming the web and your emails are not going to get delivered as well, right? Because if you get spam complaints, the emails won't show up in the inbox. Yeah, that's really funny you mentioned Scrapebox because I've always heard of it before, especially when I was um, you know, starting out with, with, with the first round of the niche site tool and studying all these different techniques people were doing to create backlinks. And my initial thought was just it was only used for, for bad stuff like finding the sites and then going out there and just leaving tons of blog comments um, that you know, with using the same exact comment on each one, um, 80,000 times, you know, and, and that, I, you know, I always had a bad sort of kind of idea of what Scrapebox was, but just hearing you talk about it now to actually find relevant sites that might benefit from whatever you have to offer, whatever guides you create or what have you, um, that, that, that actually helps. Now that differs from your initial, the, the 200 strategy, um, because you're not sending individual emails and personalizing them, right? You're just sort of sending a mass email, but it's a mass email to relevant sites. That's correct. Both strategies work. You just can pick and choose which one you want to use, or you can do both. I try to do both. I haven't done the scrape box stuff as much recently, but like I'll do it with my advanced guides and content marketing guides and get it out there. Like I don't even care if people know follow the links. I just want, and I don't do it for search engines, I just do it for traffic. And I'm a big believer if you get a ton of traffic and eyeballs and write something or create something that's really good, people will naturally link to it. Awesome. I think that's a perfect way to end the the show. Um, And that's definitely the sort of mindset that I'm going to have when it comes to this uh, niche site dual 2.0 that we're doing um, coming up very soon. So Neil, I just want to thank you again so much for your time and your energy and your spirit when it comes to doing this stuff. I mean, it's just so nice to see someone who really cares about the content that you create and knows that if you do it well, um, the SEO sort of just happens naturally. And I encourage everybody to go to quicksprout.com. I was just like, on your site for hours yesterday just reading everything I could um, not because I mean not only because we were going to have this interview today but just because it's so good and I love the guides that you put out I think that's that's sort of going to be a new thing that I'm going to I'm going to see if I could do I mean I have this for for instance for and everybody out there knows that I have this site uh, this uh, ebook out there called ebooks the smart way which is a pdf and it's awesome and that's the sort of giveaway I have for um you know, for people who sign up to my email list. But if I turn that into a guide that's actually on my site that's designed well, um, I could increase the number of people who who share that. Or I think it just would increase engagement a little bit more. People could start to talk about it with each other. Um, that's just so cool. And so thank you, Neil. I just want to say thanks for the inspiration. If people wanted to find you like on Twitter or any other sites that you have that you want to point people to, where would they go? Uh, Twitter, you can just find me uh, at Neil Patel. All right, give Neil a shout-out on, t- on Twitter. Let him know you heard him. And, um, man, dude, if there's anything I can do for you, just let me know. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Awesome. Just just awesome. Thank you, Neil, for spending time with us to share your thoughts on what's working in SEO today. A lot of fantastic, unique tips that we haven't heard from anybody else yet, uh, a lot of which I will actually be using in the upcoming Niche Site Duel 2.0 Challenge. And you can get more information on that challenge at Niche Site Duel. All the Niche Site Dual case studies, current and previous, uh, and at the time of this recording, we're you know, starting our second one. But who knows, in the future, if you're listening to this episode, maybe you'll see four or five or six different case studies there for me. We'll see. Again, all will be accessible through that particular link, nichesitedual.com. Now, a lot of you have been asking for more information about how to participate in the Niche Site Dual with me, and I have some more light to shed with you on that, which I'll take a minute to talk about. Really, anybody can follow along. If you want, 
you can build a site from scratch if you want to. You know, you can do it with me or you can wait till the till it's over to see what happens. Um, you know, we can go through the process of keyword research together, getting the website set up, creating content on the site, monetizing it and things like that. And 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 you what what you're going to do if you really want to join in and and yeah, you know, participate. I mean, you could do it on the sideline and just kind of participate without sharing anything but if you really want to participate and report your progress to someone uh, there's going to be someone who i'm going to call the dual master uh yes that's right the dual master and this person or you know it could even be a program eventually uh will take specific information about your site compile it in a way that's interesting and, and useful to everyone else that's following along and it'll report it um, at the hub at nichesitedual.com eventually when we get to that point. It'll be a great way to hold yourself accountable and everyone else accountable too and just to show everyone um, and, and you know inspire other people to do it too but also show everyone everybody else's progress. Now beyond that, a smaller group of people, probably five or so others, will do the same thing. They'll follow along in the progress but we'll do so along with more direct contact with me and each other, the other people uh, in this small group, um, through online meetings like a Google Hangout or go-to meetings and things like that. That'll happen probably once every two weeks. So we'll connect with each other uh, and help each other out along the way. This way we can talk about what's going on. We can uh, share uh, cool things that have happened and 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 to get us motivated or, or maybe something that's working on one site, uh, we can all try to implement that. Uh, what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing, again, helping each other out. But more than that, you know, these these five other people will be perfect additions um, to the case study because they'll be able to provide to to provide more detailed information about their sites to everyone else that's that's following along. So instead of just me building my website and sharing its progress, we'll have five other people doing the same thing and sharing almost just as much information about it. Um, you know, when I did my first niche site in the security guard training industry and it got to number one in Google, a lot of people were like, "Ah, oh, well." Well, you're Pat Flynn. Like, I can't do that. I'm not Pat Flynn. Well, I mean, I hate when people say it because I'm just a regular dude. Uh, but, you know, doing it this way, hopefully will show you that, you know, anybody can do this. And I'll talk more about this in detail in an upcoming post on smartpassiveincome.com. I'll cover the application process for getting selected as one of the five people to work with me in this, quote, learning group or mastermind group, if you, if you want to call it that. Uh, and also how we're going to make sure that the results aren't skewed as a result of sharing this case study in public on the blog. All stuff I've been thinking about, so so look out for that post soon, maybe within the next two or three weeks or so, because there's still a lot of research I want to do. All I can say for now is I hope you are as excited as I am. Now, all right, before we finish up, I wanted to share a question from one of the amazing Smart Passive Income podcast listeners out there. Uh, take it away, Deborah. Hey there, Pat. This is Deborah Richmond from TechBuzz.com. And I just listened to episode 65 of the podcast, which was wonderful. Um, I have a question for you, um, or G.J. Hickman. And the the um, idea of using you, uh, collecting cell phone numbers and then using that to text people messages, can, can you give another example of what would be appropriate for that? I, you, I know that you talked about using it at a conference and the way that you used it is great. Are there any other quick examples that you can um, um, let me know that are that are good ideas for using um, at people's cell phone numbers to text? Second question is, once they're on the list, how do they unsubscribe? And that's my question. Thank you so much for for uh, letting me uh, 
um, ask the question. My my website is T-E-K-K-B-U-Z-Z.com, techbuzz.com. Thanks. Thank you for the question, Deborah. This question is in reference to Smart Passive Income Podcast session number 65 with Greg Hickman from mobilemixed.com, which is all about mobile marketing. Now, I actually sent Greg your question beforehand, Deborah, and asked him to reply, and he kindly did. So I'm going to read his email here. He, he didn't answer in a voicemail, but um, I'm going to read his email here, which was which definitely has some fantastic information on it. So he said, anyone using text messaging, whether it's just plain text or the video, picture, audio message texts, uh, we should think about it as a new way to deliver content, but in a more immediate way than ever before. He says over 94% of the messages that are sent via text are read within four minutes. So it's not something to take lightly. And the content and the value of the message should be worthy of the channel. Local businesses could use this as a way to send appointment reminders. You know, no-shows are a huge revenue suck for doctors, dentists, salons, etc. It can be used to announce secret sales or fill last-minute openings. It could be there to deliver a coupon or a ticket to enter an event. Uh, As for online builders, those of us in the online space, I've been using it to send out insider tips that aren't on the podcast or in my email list. For example... I sent out one last week announcing a webinar I'm holding for only my VIPs, and I had 20% conversion rate from this message sent to those who signed up from mobile marketing registration page. I use it on my podcast as a call to action to drive people to the mobile opt-in page as many listeners listen from their phone. Deborah, he also said that he looked at your site and uh, said that you you do a wide wide range of services, um, but, but you can use mobile marketing in this way uh, in your coaching programs to send students assignments or tips or hints. And he said, I just started doing this with my coaching client. Uh, I, I had I'd sent him a big checklist of things to cover and I had a thought this morning. So I went and sent him a text with an audio file that elaborated on thought. I had been giving him examples of things I'd face in my businesses to help him through the exercise. Um, he said also, I couldn't tell who your audience uh, or customer was example from the small amount of time I was on your site. But if if you're doing Facebook pages for local businesses, uh, you could offer SMS to her clients to build a database of customers. My friend who owns a salon has a list of 300 people. He said peeps now uh, and, and um, who, who have never they've never had an empty slot anymore. If someone cancels, a text goes out with an offer to take that slot and she converts every single time. So no no more no-shows. And as for opting out, your second question, uh, your messages should include opt-out language. There are a few disclaimers that need to be present when sending messages to an opt-in list and those are as follows. Um, and a lot of the programs that you will use will include these in there already for you. It says uh, messages should include the language Message and data rates may apply. This is at the end of the message and just lets the recipient know that they may be get uh, they may get charged. Um, you then also need to have a reply stop to end uh, message. Um, so you actually, in order to stop getting messages, you just reply stop to or something like that. Uh, you, you can abbreviate this in many ways, such as stop to end or stop to quit, etc. But if anyone ever wants to stop receiving text messages from any short code a five- or six-digit number, replying stop will opt them out. If it doesn't, the provider is doing it wrong. And that's the end of his email. So hopefully that helps, Deborah. And for those of you out there who are curious about, you know, what else could you do with text messaging in your online business or even offline business too, those are some really, really good tactics. So again, that's from Greg at mobilemixed.com. 
So yeah, that's the answer. Thank you again, Deborah, and thank you, Greg, for taking the time to help out once again. And if you like to leave a voicemail and possibly get featured in an episode of the SPI podcast, head on over to speakpipe.com slash Pat Flynn. And if you want all the links and items and resources mentioned in today's show, Neil mentioned a ton of stuff uh, like Dribble with actually three Bs in it. Like, it's really important that you head on over to the show notes on the blog, which can be conveniently found for you at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 67. All the links are there. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Give Neil some love on Twitter by sending him a note at Twitter. Uh, uh, at Neil Patel, N-E-I-L-P-A-T-E-L. Help me show him how awesome we are, how awesome our community is. And uh, until next time, you know, keep being awesome, keep being confident, and keep moving forward. You got this. Cheers, peace, see you in 68. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.